Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Orville Roach. Welcome, welcome. Welcome back to all our listeners. Uh, this is Orville Roach, along with my producer and co-host, as usual, pulling double duty, Chris Morales. Our number is 646-564-9909. 646-564-9909 is the number. If you want to call in to speak to us or our guests, If you just want to listen to the show, you can go to our website, ocgworks.org, that's O-C-G-W-O-R-K-S.org, and click on the OCG Radio Live button, or you can also go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. You don't have to call in on the call-in line to listen to the show, unless that's your only means. Okay, Mr. Producer, before we get started, there's... uh, this is a show about recovery, but there's just one thing I wanted to just throw out there real quick. How about them Cowboys? Yeah! <laughs> of course. Of course. Tony Tony Romo looking un-Tony Romo-esque this time of year, I'll say. That is a, quite, quite a game he had. Now, I know I'm going to have to explain that to my uh, New York brethren, uh, who are probably <laughs> going to hold me in contempt, but I'll I'll explain that to them off air. Um, Absolutely. But... So we're we're doing Daytop, the birth and evolution. Today is part two of three. Uh, we have a special guest today, um, Charles J. Devlin, uh, who we know as Charlie Devlin, um, who's a former CEO of Daytop Village, Inc. 
um, and he will talk to us about um, a different phase. Uh, we had uh, Dr. David Deitch on last week where we covered the uh, the birth and the infancy period. Um, so let's get right to it, and let's uh, welcome aboard Charlie Devlin. Charlie, welcome to our show, and uh, good to hear from you again. Good to talk to you, Orville, and it's good to be on your on your show. Looking forward to it. Uh, good. And uh, I'm glad you had my old buddy David Deitch on previously, and and I know he gave you good information. He he sure did. Um, he he taught us some things that we didn't know. Um, I hope I fill in some of the blanks. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Um, now, one of the things you you definitely uh, straightened out for at least during my time and the time of my peers and everybody that was uh, with us during that uh, late '80s, early '90s period, um, we we knew of you, we saw you, um, uh, we knew what your role was. Um, but I, I would bet every single person would have sworn that you went through Swan Lake. Uh, come to find out that uh, you didn't. You went. You actually went through the lodge or, or Princess Bay. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. How, how did you end up there? Well, I mean, uh, probably a little known fact uh, is that uh, Daytop Lodge, uh, which was a uh, program that was really founded by the uh, Brooklyn uh, Brooklyn Second Judicial District in New York City, uh, started this program called Daytop Lodge with a grant from the National Institute on Mental Health for like $390,000 for 25 male probationers uh, for a five-year period, uh, and that program started in September 16, 1963, and I just so happened to be the very first resident selected to go to that program. So uh, I wound up uh, going there by, by uh, uh, it's, 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 you could only go there if you committed a crime, you went through the courts, uh, and and. Uh, the probation officer Joe Shelley uh, and and Alex Basson, two of the founders of that Daytop Lodge program, uh, interviewed me and selected thought I'd be a good candidate, uh, and I uh, was interviewed by them and they sent me out to, to Staten Island, Cottonville, Staten Island, and at that time uh, I was really not ready to 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 to, to get help. Uh, I didn't mm-hmm. think. It, day he was once an addict always an addict and I never thought there was any kind of help available but I mm-hmm. said I'd, I'd spend time in this place to being in jail so I selected that and I went out and I, and, and I told him I'll go and I went out there and met the first director whose name was Dean Colcourt uh, who welcomed me when, when I arrived and I told him it's very nice to meet you uh, but I have an appointment I need to keep in back in the city because I thought I'd be getting high again, and I'll come mm-hmm. back the day. And he said, "Nope, I don't think you can do that. You've got to come and stay here." And I wound up staying in Daytop Lodge. Uh, and about two, three weeks later, another some other guys came in. Slowly but surely, we had about 22 people. Uh, Dr. Dan Casual, who was one of the co-founders of Daytop. Uh, was the chief psychiatric superintendent, and he 
and and he, and he would hold groups. By the way, Daytop was really modeled after a program in the West Coast in California, which was sitting on, and right. They 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 viewed it and they they liked what they saw. They, they it was modeled as a peer support uh, organization uh, where 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 people that were in, in recovery or trying to be in recovery would help each other, and and it was a very successful model, and and so the probation department modeled it after that. The problem was, uh, Daytop Lodge was only for those people that were male probationists that came from certain boroughs of New York, most of us knew each other. So it was mm-hmm. very difficult for us to really be honest about our problems when, first of all, we thought we'd be going, we'd be going back and, and relapsing and going back to the streets together. So right. it really wasn't a very successful, good model. It was also for one year. And, and so I stayed there, and I became the, not only the first resident. Uh, in September of 1964, I was graduated as the first graduate, which was very nice. But I relapsed soon after that, and 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 had to re-enter back in June of 1965. So the, the lodge was the real foundation uh, of Daytop, uh, and and I'm very proud of being a part of that, even though it didn't work. But we learned by our mistakes. Uh, I then came back in, in 1965 when David Deitch again came in to to help clean up this this place that was that was not in the best of shape clinically uh since most of the most of the people that were there were also uh misbehaving and and chipping and getting high and drinking and stuff like that and so david mm-hmm. uh came in and, and cleaned it up and and then he cut then i uh relapsed in nineteen sixty five i contacted uh david i called him up didn't know, never knew who he was, but my probation officer, this fellow Ed Hammock, was also became, a, became executive director of Daytop a little later on. Ed Hammock said, you have to go back to Daytop. I said, I loved the place. It was really a lovely, lovely facility, but it didn't work. I said, so what, why would I want to go back? He says, you have to go back, otherwise you're going to get violated with your probation. So I called up David Deitch and David Said, oh, he knew he knew of me, and he said, "Get be here in two hours." He didn't give me much time to 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 think, uh, but I wound up going there and 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 uh, was interviewed. Uh, I was high. They made me wait a number of hours until I was sober, and interviewed me. And and at that time, that interview. Sitting there, with a lot of these people I knew that were that were in Daytop that I left, they were very different. And the interview was, was, was such an intense interview that I felt these people. I was a sheet of glass, and they were able to look right through me, and 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 and, and they knew me. Uh, and 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 I cried like a baby in that interview, and and I and I knew that this was different than what it was when I was there the first time. Right. And it was it was a, a very spiritual experience, uh, and and I was extremely honest. And 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 even though the next day I woke up, I was addicted. I mean, I was addicted, and I and, and I was starting to kick, you know, go cold turkey. They said, I guess you're not going to stay because there was no you know detoxification in those days. You had cold turkey, and right. I'm not going to go anyplace. I'm staying, and you know, this is where I'm going to be. Uh, and I stayed, and, and and it was it was the most wonderful experience of my life. That uh, that 
that treatment program and, and, and in those early days. It was pure positive peer support, uh, and and we, we 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 really were very harsh with each other, very demanding with each other that we would that we would help each other, and it, and you felt the love of, of of in those early days. By the way, we had no money. Daytop Lodge had some funding, and that still was around a little bit. But when, when, we, when I was there, we, we, we incorporated it, and we called it Daytop Village. Well, Daytop Village had no funding. We had to go out uh, and, 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 and see if we can get, bring food home to feed the family. Uh, we would go to downtown, downtown uh, the little, in the meat market and, and the fruit uh, Facilities to see if we can get people to donate to us, to give to us, to bring home food for the family, and we did that. Did that until we, for at least a year, until we got some some kind of financial support from the government. Uh, but that was, again, a very very important time of my life and a very very important time in Daytop's life, because it created the foundation of what was going to eventually be a very good growing organization. So mm-hmm. that was. Initial entry into Daytop, being being the first resident, being the first graduate, and, and being the first failure because I was one of the first one of the last <laughs> coming back, and uh, and, it, and it showed, and it just showed, and the example of that you can, you know, you can relapse, and and and, and you can, and we've had people have relapsed a number of times, and they continued on, and it became very successful. The trifecta. <laughs> Yeah, that's so that awesome. was my so I so I really grew up in Staten Island. I was don't get me wrong, I was I was very involved in, 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 in Swan Lake, but never so much as a resident. You know, we had we had uh we used to have our yearly retreats and we called them Gordensias every year, our birthday. We were the first one we had in Staten Island, but after that we got so big we would have to have them in Swan Lake all the time. And and when, you should know did... that when we opened up Swan Lake, it was it was June of nineteen sixty six. And it ah, was formerly, okay. a, formerly a, a hotel. It was called Paul's Hotel. It was a kosher hotel, and and uh, but it wasn't winterized. It was a summer resort. So what we had to do, we sent a team of our of our residents up that had some that, some some experience in, in 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 construction and and were able to go up there in June and had a literally. Put in pipes to winterize the place, so they had, to, they had to put pipes in the ground before before the winter, so that we would have, we would heat the place, so people could live up there, and 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 they did that. It was we brought in no outside help. It was all done by our by our own residents and and, and staff uh, to make that a winterized facility, and then it became you know Swan Lake became a magnificent facility. Thousands of people went through and got help and were were treated there. So, so my so Charlie, my history was that now, but I did go up there at the time to do to do you know support and do some some assistance. Charlie, I have a question for you. Uh, you know, being a being a graduate of Daytop myself and not having graduated until the 2000s, I hear a lot of stories about people from the past, past graduates, and things of that nature. And to learn that you were the first graduate ever from a program that I went through is pretty awesome. I mean, I feel pretty privileged to even be having this conversation with you right now. So I wanted to ask if you wouldn't mind to elaborate a little bit on what it means to you personally to be the first graduate from Daytop. Well, I'm very proud of that. I mean, it was it was, it was an experience, you know, 
I have a very strong history with Daytop. You know, I, I, I like to say I grew up there. Uh, all my friends and, 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 my, and, and I considered my family uh, was my Daytop, my Daytop family. Uh, and, and, and it was, to me, uh, and it was a premier organization. I'm very proud of the fact not only that I, that I was the first resident, first graduate, uh, I was also the first, the first executive director that was that, that came through the program. Uh, these were very wow. meaningful to me, and, and, and meaningful in the sense that that I was a part of building something that that I was very proud of, that that I loved, and 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 and, and was able to help people like me. You know, I stayed there in many respects. I stayed there because I I felt I had to give back. Not only did it, did it help keep me keep me sober. But it was it was it was sort of a calling that I felt I I, I had to give back to other people because my attitude was if it could help me it can help anybody it, right it myself uh, so it, it it was a very proud accomplishment but, but even though you should know my real I consider I don't even consider that first graduate of of, of Daytop Lodge that that I don't, I don't even consider that my graduation date you know I really hmm. consider. The graduation date uh, is when we when we really had our our first daytop graduation, and we didn't. By the way, we didn't even call it graduation. In our day, when we gave out the, the pin, the daytop pin that we they still give out today, uh, that was a confirmation. That that was the term we used. We were going to we were being confirmed, uh, <laughs> and we didn't use the term graduation until later on. And, and, and we had our first graduation, uh, which was in August of 1967, up at Swan Lake, uh, where we issued the pins. And there was about a dozen of us that received it. That is what I always considered my graduation date, my date, uh, because because I was purely, I was I was really clean. I was I didn't have any relapses, and I had I had a good 18 months quote under my belt, where where where, where I did nothing but positive growth. Uh, the first time was I had it, but it was not 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 my proudest achievement. Wow, that's really incredible! Thank you so much for sharing that with me. So, Charlie, uh, this is Orville again. Um, <clears throat> you ended up, like you like you noted, working uh, for the organization and eventually uh, rising to executive uh, leadership, and eventually becoming the CEO. Uh, could you walk us through your journey to that CEO's chair? Well, Yes, it was an interesting experience. I had, you know, you should also know, you know, before I went to Daytop in, in my other life, I, was, I worked in construction and I and I, I was a cement finisher, and and I worked on many large New York City skyscrapers. Uh, probably the last the last big job that I worked on in construction was my was 50 years ago. They're just celebrating the anniversary this year of the Barrazano Bridge. That was my last my last job. Uh, and, and so I had a very good time. You're responsible and, and for that I doing that. Uh, but when I went through Daytop, I had a choice. When the time came, and, and I said, do I, do I go back to construction, which is a skill and a union I belong to, or I'd stay in Daytop? You know, and, and I made very good money in construction. I made nothing in Daytop. <laughs> you know, we had no money in those days. But, but right. my commitment was to, to stay with Daytop because I felt that was my calling and I wanted to get back and it would and it would assure me of my uh, uh, of my own in my own recovery. Uh, 
So I stayed I stayed in Daytop, and and and, and it, as I said in February, I mean in the, when I graduated uh, in 1967, I was immediately uh, stayed on as a counselor, and I became a uh, a counselor in Daytop in Staten Island. I always seemed to work in Staten Island. That was my that was where I stayed, uh, and. I worked my way up to be a senior a senior coordinator, uh, and 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 then toward the end of '67, uh, I became I became a, the, the direct, a co-director. It was really in those days we just did co-directors. So as a co-director was this guy Felix Barella, good guy, who eventually left Daytop and, and started a program and opened and founded a program in Westchester called Renaissance, and uh, I did that and and and. We then had, we then had uh, some differences. While I was as the director of Staten Island, uh, I don't know if David got into that, but there was some problems between between Ford uh, and 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 David and the staff in regard to accountability uh, and in regard to some complaints that were made about a daytop getting more involved in some political in the political arena. These are the days way of. of um, and protesting, and and uh, uh, that became that that started to confuse things. Well, at the time, I, I didn't like what was going on. I, I I really, even though I was part of what they called the core group in Daytop, and I was part of it, I didn't like what I was seeing. I didn't like. I said, we're here to treat people. I don't think if we have political aspirations, I think it's our position to. To, to pass it on to the to the residents, uh, and so I didn't like what was happening. I was going to leave Daytop. I was going to go back to construction. I, I just recently got married uh, to my wife Whitney, who's uh, I'm still married to after these uh, 46 years. And wonderful. And so I said, let me. You know, I was going to leave. Uh, I talked to this guy Ronnie Brancato, who was also uh, one of the core group members. And he says, "Don't leave, Charlie. Let's confront. Let's confront the group about what we didn't like. Don't leave. Just so. So we had a group. We had a, We had. You know. We had our usual counter groups. Uh, and and in that group, uh, the, the 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 members weren't too happy about this competition. And uh, then Monsignor Bryan contacted me. Uh, he was in, he was the chair of the board. He was not he was not involved much. And he had the quarterly board meetings." And he said, "You know, we're, we're not happy with what's happening, and we're gonna we're gonna uh, make some changes. Stay with it, because it turns out when I confronted David and the and, and the core group, I got a certified letter from David firing me for my being the director of Staten Island. <laughs> and so I, uh, but I stayed on with 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 being casual and the board, and it finally uh, uh about a month or so later on, they went to court, and 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 the board the board took over, and and David left. David left with a lot of the residents, a lot of the staff. It was very traumatic in those days. Even though it was very harsh, when when you look back at history, one of the best things that probably could have happened to the field is that split. Because from that split, people. That from daytop started programs all around the country. It was like mm-hmm. it was like a, a a seed planted in the ground from the tree that the daytop tree, and 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 the programs opened in the marathon program in, in Massachusetts, 
uh, Gordensia in, in, in Pennsylvania, uh, Gateway House in, 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 in Illinois, uh, the Walden House in California, Village South in, 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 in Florida. These were just some of the programs that started from people that had left Daytop through what we call the split. So it was a good good thing for the field. But uh, the wind-up is uh, I had to then start to try to rebuild this place from scratch all over again because we had empty buildings. Swan Lake was empty. Uh, 14th Street was a facility we had, a reentry program in Manhattan was empty. Uh, Parksville was empty. And and because the res- a lot of the residents, some stayed, a lot of them left, and they went to other programs. Uh, but I, but from that point on, I became the program director. I'm, I'm leading to that, you know. So what? So when I stayed on, I, I you know, I had to take on more responsibilities. So I became the program director. Uh, I had the director of the senior director of 14th Street, uh, and 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 then, you know, start started to happen, you know, and it and it's all part of the evolution and 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 how we grew. But we had uh, started as a treatment program for adult adult men and women uh, that was a long-term residential program that was anywhere from 18 months to 24 months. We had three basic stages in the treatment program, you know, the admissions, the primary treatment, and reentry. Uh, and we started to see other things. You know, we saw, we saw people that would come to us that didn't need residential treatment. We said, wait a minute, they don't need residential treatment. You know, what do we do? So we started, we opened up outreach centers that would, that would, that would work with the community and work with people in the community where they didn't have to go into a reentry program, I mean, into a residential program, and we also used those outreach centers as part of our reentry program. So people that would leave the residential program would go to the outreach centers for, for, for aftercare. Right. So that, so that began as part of the evolution. And and then we also saw that we had young people coming into the program. We said, wait a minute here. You know, we have these, these young, they don't fit, these, these, are, these are 16, 17-year-old boys and girls that don't belong with these mid-20, 30-year-old uh, adults. So we created an adolescent treatment program for them. And this, by the way, in doing this, and we did a lot of innovative programs, but it was all having to do with being aware of the population that was coming into the doors and being open enough to say we need to modify or make changes for this population. That was one of the jewels that Daytop had. It was always, you know, because we were always in touch with, with, with the population, with the clients. Mm-hmm. And we said, what they are, we heard what they said, this is what you need, and this is what we're going to have to give you. It was, not, it was never such a strict regime that they had to do it our way. We had to modify that. And so we did that. Uh, and, and I must tell you, so we did some, you know, some, I always considered groundbreaking kinds of things. You know, we, you know, we, we had the first, the first college program in, 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 in all of the programs. We called it the Daytop University, where, where people not only were getting their high school diplomas, but able, we had Brooklyn College come in with college professors, and people were able to get college credits while in Daytop. And so that, that was innovative. You know, we had, we had another thing that we, we had a, a training institute that we created. Uh, uh, 
we did we in those days we did a film with with, with Don Frank on the can, can, with the Canadian Film Board. Um, that was a fantastic film, and, and you know we created a family association. The other thing was most people they felt all oh, the families they, they interfere, they get in the way. We said, wait a minute, no, they can be very helpful. They they you know. Because if we, we get them involved and they can help themselves, and we had our own family groups and family association, where where once the parents got involved, it helped our own retention. Because the the, the residents that were in the program said, "Hey, you know, my parents are involved. I'm going to stay involved." Because the parents would make demands when a when a when a child wants to leave, they would say, "Oh no, you got to stay. We're not. You can't come home." You know, these were all good, innovative kinds of things that we did. Uh, and 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 the, what we did with breaking with the Sinanon model, which was the model that that we modeled ourselves after, they were they had no they had no board of directors. We felt you had to have a good responsible board of directors. You need a check and balance. You need need accountability. So we had a good board of directors. And Monsignor stayed on as the chairman of the board until until he came on the staff in the, in, in, in the 70s. He came on uh, after Ed Hammack, who was the executive director. Had a leave to go on uh, the Attica Commission, Attica Commission when they were uh, when they had riots in Attica. He was a lawyer, and they they put him to do that. So I'm rambling, but I'm just trying to tell you how all these kinds of no, exciting no. were taking place in the early stages of Daytop that actually right. began to grow and 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 become their own little, you know, their own institutions. So you um, and and we don't we don't mind you rambling. This is all good. This is all good stuff that we're that we're learning about uh, that 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 period of time. And you even touched on my my next question about that period of when this. For David, by the way, David David was very forthcoming on the split, and you kind of added a little bit more to it. Yeah, I just was well, a, it was a, well, it's a part of our history. Oh, you know, it's was yeah, our history. Yeah. And we didn't talk for years, you know. David and I were very close in the early days when we had the split. Uh, we didn't talk for a while, but you know, slowly but surely, we brought him back, and he got back involved working with Daytop. Became a vice president. We did a lot of good stuff together. I'm still very close to David. We do a lot together today, uh, you know. So we have a good relationship. But that was that was part of it. And then you know, and he, and, and and by the way, I must tell you. The guy with the foundation, creating the foundation of Daytop, they, David created that foundation, did a wonderful job. You know, we just had to continue it after him. That's all. Right. And I'll tell you something else. It's also, you know, when I was, when I was there and, 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 and I always felt uh, it was always important to me that you surround yourself with good staff, and, and we had very good, dedicated staff. We were fortunate, and maybe you know one of the things wasn't most most of most of my assistants, most of the, you know we call administrators or equivalent of vice presidents, they were they were homegrown. These were people that had gone through the program. Some came back, they went out. One of them was a graduate, went out to be a lawyer. I brought her back to, 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 to head up our adolescent program, but. We had wonderful, wonderful staff, and we met on a monthly basis, and each reported out in their areas, whoever, some, whoever oversaw the reentry program, the residential program, the short-term program, the adolescent program, 
the specialty sessions, the medical program. We would meet regularly and look at our organization and, and, and where we needed to go and how we can help people in the best way. And we had a great staff that did that. And all of, and I've always said, you know, it's a team approach. And it was the team that created all of our, you know, all of our innovative programs and, and all of our expansions. So that was, that was very important that we, that we did that. And I, and I was very pleased in many respects that Monsignor O'Brien, who was the president at the time, would let me do that. He gave me full reins to, 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 to run the operation, the clinical operation that I would like to think was a was a first class premier organization. People from all over the world and all over the country would come to us to, to learn, to, to be part right. of our of our program to, to so they could bring it bring it back to the to the to, 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 to wherever state or, or, or country or somewhere from from New York. Remember, a lot of these programs in New York that were they came to us. We started those programs, the Phoenix House, Odyssey House. They came to us when they when they wanted to start uh, Samaritan Village. These were programs that we gave staff to to help them create their own programs, and they and they all did very well with their with, with their with their uh, using our model. Right. You want to take a call, Charlie? Excuse me. Do you want to take a call? We got a call for you. Okay. Sure. Let's bring on uh, Ira, calling from looks like New York. Ira, welcome to Road Chum Recovery. Hey. You're on with Charlie Devlin. Hey, Charlie. Good speaking to you. Good listening to you. Um, actually, uh, just actually left you. Great hearing you. Uh, I am a 1980 graduate, uh, and I worked for the agency up until 2009 as a consultant. It's great listening to your story and listening to you. Always, Charlie, great stories. Okay, Ira, I love you too, my man. Okay. Um, Thank you for that, Ira. Um, Charlie, you were touching on it a little bit. Um, I'll, I'll let you expound on it a little bit more about as the organization was going through the uh, the 70s and the 80s, it was really expanding. What were some of the, you know, discussions and decisions that kind of played into we, we need to get bigger? Well, it wasn't so much it wasn't so much that we need to get bigger. We never had that discussion. We need to get bigger. The discussion was, what do we do with these people that are coming to us for help? <laughs> mm-hmm. Because that was the case. You know, we had to get bigger to accommodate the needs that were of the people that came to us. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, you know, we had we had you know Princess Bay in Staten Island that we opened in 1965 was a hundred bed facility for men and women. Well, that was that was filled up. Once we went from Dake Top Lodge to open it to the community, that was filled up in less than a year. Then that's why we had to open up Swan Lake in 1966. Swan Lake was a 250-bed facility. We had that filled up in a, in, 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 within a year or so. We then opened up the outreach center. We, had, we opened up one in Mount Vernon in Westchester. Then, you know... The, the need. We also then went to went to Brooklyn. We did an outreach center in Brooklyn. Uh, in, in, in 1959, we had the, we had 14th Street. That was uh, that was a reentry program that we opened up. 
uh, Millbrook was an adolescent program in 1970. These programs opened up because of the need of the people that came to us. And 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 and, and Parksville, we opened up in 1972, another 200 bed facility. All of these facilities in a, in a year or two were full to to, to, to capacity. We opened up as so in each borough, Staten Island was opened up in 1973, the Bronx in 1982, you know, Westchester in 1983, Far Rockaway, a major 300-bed facility in 1984. They all were opened because of the, the people from the community or the and in those days very big referral source was the criminal justice system because they really were looking for an alternative to incarceration and they were they were looking for a, a, a some kind of an organization that would that that would take care of these people and 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 and, and, and also be accountable to them on how well they're doing uh, right. so we had a very good relationship with the criminal justice system. Then, you know, we, we opened up our Promethean Institute in 1987, which was a fantastic find. You know, it just so happened to be a, by an accident. I was just happened to walk on 40, uh, working on 40th Street to go to our, our headquarters there between 56th Avenue. And this gentleman come over and says, you know, what about the, what is this place you have here? And I talked to him. I brought him in. We talked a while. And, and, and it's certain that this guy's name was was John Wackenfeld. Well, they were they, he was the president of the Hayden Foundation, who owned the property down in 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 in, in the Poconos. That was that we that, that he said, listen, I like what you guys do. You, uh, I'll let you use our two hundred two thousand acre land with these beautiful facilities on them uh, for a dollar a year. It was fantastic. Just happened was luck, and that and that facility we used for years to help train our staff. It was and bring staff from all over the the country and the world to, to, to for that training institute. So, but these all happened because of needs, because of people that came to us. We were just fortunate enough to have a good staff that were open, dedicated. And by the way, we also did this. We didn't wait. So we got, we got funding from the state. We did it because because the need was there, and then we went to the state, and we said to the state, hey, we have to open up this facility because the needs are there, and you've got to help us with that financial support. And they, by the way, the New York State Substance Abuse Agency was very helpful, and they always backed us and supported us because we were accountable. We were accountable and, and, and made them look good. So we, we had a very excellent relationship with that with that state agency. Uh, then we, you know, as you know, all, but we also expanded. We had, you know, we had a request in, in, in Texas, in, 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 in the Dallas area, uh, to open up a program there. And so we, 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 we expanded outside of New York, and we went to Dallas. And, and then, we had, then we had Redwood City. That we, the was there to, for, for working with adolescents. We did that. We did it in Florida. You know, we opened up a number of facilities because of the request from the states to, to help them in, in those areas. Now, you um, the, the you mentioned the Monsignor some time back. Uh, he played a significant role in starting the, uh, the World Federation of Therapeutic Communities, the WFTC. 
and he served as president for some time, but you also spent considerable time as president of that organization. So why was this organization so important to Daytop? That's a good question. That's very interesting, well, the, the, the World Federation. And let me, let me give you a little bit of history on that one, too, how that evolved. That's another one, how these things happen. It's very interesting. You know, we had, we had, uh, we belonged, Daytop was a member of, of an organization called ICAA. Uh, ICAA stood for the International Council on Alcohol and Addictions. They were located in Lucerne, Switzerland. Well, they had a conference they were going to hold in 1975 in Bangkok, Thailand. And my senior said, you know, Charlie, we, we belong to this organization, and, 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 and uh, they would like to have a presentation uh, or, or from Daytop, you know, for us to do something. So I said, okay, I'll, you know, would you mind going, writing a paper and delivering a paper at this conference? Uh, and and so I said fine, and I and I and I went to this conference, and and and, and delivered a paper. Matter of fact, it's, it was an interesting one because that was it was called Daytop Village: A Longitudinal Review, 1963 to 1974, uh, mm-hmm. and that was their 31st Congress. Well, it, when I went to this Congress and went to this workshop, I just happened to meet. A few other folks that also had that had treatment programs that called themselves therapeutic communities. Uh, this guy Bob Garan, who was a Catholic priest in Manila, the Philippines, had a program called the Dare Program. He said, "You know, Charlie. He says you don't know this, but this guy Anthony came to Daytop and he, 14th Street, and he, you know, you helped him, and he was a Filipino. He came back to Manila and and helped to start this program." Then this other guy, Lars Bremberg, a Swedish guy, says, you know, we have a program that we, it's, it's called the Vormaltorp program. We call it a therapeutic community, but it's really based on the, on, under, uh, under uh, uh, the European model, which was under Maxwell Jones, a different kind of a professional kind of a model, but still a self-help program. So these people were all in this session, and, 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 and my brother John, who was also a Daytop graduate, uh, who left Daytop, went up and started a program in, in Montreal, Canada, a bilingual program called Portage that we, Daytop, sanctioned and sent him up there to do that. Well, we also had a, a Swedish, I mean, a, a French guy, this guy Christian Brolet from France, uh, a guy from Great Britain, Frank Wilson, and, and, and this guy Tom Bratta from the United States, well, we said we got together with seven. They call it the Band of Seven. The seven of us got together. We said, you know something? Here we're at a conference with three, 4,000 people. You know, that most of them are doctors, criminal justice folks, but we're the only ones who actually are into the self-help, positive peer support, therapeutic community model. So we then went to, to, the, to, the, to the president, Eva Tong, and we met with her at the conference, and we said, you know, we really would like some space, maybe a section, because you had special sections of ICA. Maybe you could create a TC section of ICAA, and 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 we can win. And, and we and we said propose. He said, you know, Monsignor Brian, the president of Daytop, is also a member. He could be the president of this of this section of ICAA section. They said, fine, great. And and what we also wanted, what we wanted to do, 
and we saw that, we said we really need to communicate with each other. We need to publish and, 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 and create some vehicle where we can share our, our findings. And my brother John said, well, I have a publication. It's a bilingual publication uh, from Portage uh, called The Addiction Therapist. You can, we can publish in that. So we said, great. We also said we also want to have a conference. We should bring people from around the world that are, that are, and, and, and that are based on the TC model and have those people come to this conference. So this guy, Lars Bremberg, said, listen, I'll, I'll host the first conference in 19, a year from now in, 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 in Vormultorp, Sweden. And went back, I went back to O'Brien, told him all of his plans. I said, you should be the president because you're the natural to be the president of ICAA section, which he right. did. And a few years later, we had a few conferences, uh, and 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 we you know if if after the after the conference in um, in in uh, in Sweden uh, I think we went to we went to to, to Canada uh, then we went to Rome and and what happened is people that wanted to start a therapeutic community that didn't have anything in countries in Italy they had nothing in Italy. Uh, this this Catholic priest Mario Picchi said, you know, I really love what you guys are doing. I'd like to do something like that in Italy. So we said, really fine. We'll we'll have you come to to Daytop. We'll trade some of your stuff, some of your staff. We'll send some people back, and they started these these programs all throughout Italy. That was all headed up by the Daytop staff and, and people that we sent there to to train them. The same thing we did in Sweden. But the wind-up is that but this just evolved. It was nothing that we planned on doing. It's something that just happened because aid was there. They loved, right. they loved the therapeutic community model in these countries. They wanted to start them uh, and, 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 and start these programs. So that's how it evolved. Now, and Brahman Senior uh, became the – it was in the, the conference, I think the fourth or fifth conference that was held in Greece that we finally incorporated – from, from when we left ICAA, we had a break with them because we, we, we didn't want to be a section anymore. We wanted to have our own corporation, and that's when we incorporated as the World Federation of Therapeutic Communities. Uh, and and, and O'Brien was the first president of that and stayed on as president for a number of years. He was going to he was going to turn it over to Lars Bremberg from Sweden, but there were some problems that Lars had in Sweden. He couldn't he couldn't take it over. So Monsignor basically did that. I I sort of was the was the chairman of the of the of the of the what they call the IOC International Organizing Committee, which really organized the conference. So I just found I had a talent for that, <laughs> you know, in organizing. So I was the one in charge of organizing all of these conferences, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, then I eventually became the deputy president of. of World Federation, but we had to. We then we then went to we went to to, to Canada. To, then we went to Italy. The fourth World Conference was in is in New York. We went to, to the the fifth was in the Netherlands. Uh, the sixth was no matter of fact it was the, in the Netherlands in 1980. We incorporated the World Federation of Therapeutic Communities, and the wind up is we wound up having uh, 24. 24 World Conferences. Uh, the last one that I was involved with 
was the one that we had in New York in 2006. That's the year. I, that's the same year I left ATOP. I left a few months after the conference, and uh, which was very successful. But out of that, you know, we had we created Daytop International because of the need and 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 programs and and there was people to to to, 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 to Daytop to learn and and to start to learn how to open up a TC so they can go back to their countries. So we had people from Asia, tremendous group from Asia that came mm-hmm. from, from, from Thailand and Malaysia and, and Laos and Cambodia that wanted to open up their community. Same thing with Latin America. And as, and as the World Federation evolved, out of that came European Federation, the Latin American Federation, various federations, and the therapeutic community movement. And by the way, that's what it was all about. It was really about being a movement. It was not about us gaining anything. It was that we we had the foresight to see that people around the world had the same problems and they needed the same help. And the therapeutic community can be incorporated all around the world because it's modeled there. It's very simple, self-help, positive peer support model that people in treatment can help themselves. So it was it just had, it just evolved and 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 it became and it, I just came back matter of fact from the the last World Federation conference that was in Cancun Mexico and I was there with the with this organization I'm currently working with was this Health PSI that made a very good presentation and, and really specialized in in healthcare delivery and, and primary care services especially specializing in people that have HIV AIDS and substance abuse. Right, but but it's something that we evolved. It just happened, and O'Brien was a magnificent leader because 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 he supported it. He let you know he let it he let he, and 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 he created all kinds of committees, and 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 it just became it just became a, it, its own its own institution. So so Charlie, you you've had a forty year plus affiliation with Daytop. If yep. you look back. If you look back, uh, is there anything you would have done dif- differently in your capacity or anything you would have liked to see happen? I think there was a treatment? number of things I would have done differently, but probably the most important of all, when I look back, and so I'm still very much, I left Daytime in 2006, but I've been staying, I'm still very much involved in the field, mm-hmm. and I'm very active as a volunteer, and I'm very big in the recovery movement, and and and. When I look back, I didn't see it as much then, but I see it so much more now as as what's happening now and, and how the regulators, the funding agents, how they've literally taken the heart and the soul out of, quote, the therapeutic community because of their regulations. So if I had it all to do over again, the goal would have been to be more self-sufficient, to be, to be less dependent on, on, on the government dollar. Uh, not that not that you're kidding, you know, because I think we if we you really used our imaginations, because once you take the dollar from the government, the government's going to tell you how to treat people, and right, you've got to be right. able to, to do it their way. That's what happens. And so if I had it all to do over again, and I set a whole new program, I would be more self-sufficient, and I wouldn't rely on government dollars. Well, Charlie, uh this has definitely been uh, very, very informative. Um, we appreciate you uh, being willing to come on and share your uh, daytop experience with us. 
and um, I hope if, uh, if if needed sometime in the future, you'll be uh, willing to come back on. Anytime, I'm always available. You know, especially sharing sharing the the life of Daytop. It's very important. You know, because one of the things I'm thinking about is, is you know we have a we've got to really work on the history. I've been working with this woman from from Emory University. She's doing a PhD. And, and 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 she's doing the history of the therapeutic community. She just did the face, and I spent a lot of time with her. She, most of the is really on synonym, but then they go on for daytop and other stuff. Well, the more I see that, the more I get involved with that. I said, you know, we really need, we really need a very, and I'll talk to David about it too, to put our own historic a book on daytop and the history of daytop. Because Absolutely. we really got to put it in paper because we're going to be gone and. People got to carry on, and they got to know their roots of where they come from. You know, Daytop, as you know, uh, ran into hard times. They really, they missed, they took the eye off the ball after I left, and start forgetting. I don't know things. They made some mistakes, and now it's going to be merged with another organization, which is one of the organizations that we gave birth to, with Samaritan Village. It's going to be called Samaritan Daytop. They're still going to be there. They're still going to survive. They're still going to do wonderful things. Uh, I'm still going to be very involved helping them, and they asked me if I could be on one of their boards. So uh, it's going to happen, but that the history needs to be recorded, and you know, this what we're doing here is all part of that. Yeah, absolutely. Charlie Devlin, everybody, thanks again, Charlie, for joining us on Roach and Recovery, and uh, we'll hope to hear from you again. Okay. Enjoy, and I enjoyed it. Thank you. All your, all your listeners, I hope you enjoyed the show. All right. Thank you very much, Charlie. Thank no. you. All right. Why don't we take a uh, quick break and then come back and uh, take some calls? Sounds good. Let's do it. Uh, for those of you on hold, please hold, and we will get to you on the other side. Thank you so much. Take it easy. Take it easy. Don't let the sound of your own wheels drive you crazy. The Latino Commission Drug and Alcohol Treatment Services in South San Francisco was organized and incorporated in early 1991 and going on 22 years of providing services to our community. The Latino Commission, also known as TLC, would like to offer our services to those struggling with a substance use disorder. We have residential facilities for men, women, mothers and children, outpatient programs, transitional and SLE homes to assist and promote a successful recovery for individuals. We at the Latino Commission provide educational services on self-esteem, assertiveness, life management, coping skills, anger management, limits and boundaries, and other various subjects. The Latino Commission, restoring people holistically in an environment of love and understanding that represents our culture, improving quality of life. Roach on Recovery is a program of OCG Radio. It deals with many topics related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment, and recovery. Our Recovery Support Time is a show segment where you can receive support from our host for any questions or issues you wish to present related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment, or recovery. 
you can reach our hosts live by calling 646-564-9909. That's 646-564-9909. Or you can send your questions via email at any time to ocgworkca at gmail.com. That's ocgworkca at gmail.com. And our hosts will respond to your questions on the air. Roach on Recovery. Recovery Support Time. A time for us to help you. The sound of your own wheels drive you crazy. Lighten up while you still can. Don't even try to understand. Just find a place to make your stand. Take it easy. Okay, we're back. Uh, that was a great interview with Charlie Devil and the former CEO of Daytop Village. Um, <clears throat> They're still very much involved. So, Mr. Producer, we're going to go out of line here. We're going to we're going to do our we're going to try and fit our recap of the interview in last, and we're going to go take some calls first. How about that? All right, good. So let's go to Kimberly. Looks like in San Jose. Kimberly, you're on with Roach and Recovery. Hi. Hi. How are you? Can you? I'm fine, thank you. I had some questions or I need advice or anyway, I'm 10 years in the program with no relapse. And I said vows with a man six years ago who's been in and out of this program since 1979. And recently he's just been relapsing to the depths of wherever you can go with uh, needles and methamphetamines and he leaves home for days at a time and, I'm just, uh, I know that I need to take care of myself. I know that I I just can't help but want to help him with maybe some suggestions on recovery places. I was thinking about an intervention. I want to see a professional about that. And if we put him up against the wall, he has an above average IQ. If we put him up against the wall, I don't know what's going to happen. And he has these demons that he's dealing with, and that's the reason, that's the one area in the program that he can't really get is coping skills because of his demons that come because of his childhood. So I was wondering what you had to say about that. Just just for clarity for any of our listeners, when you say program, you're talking about in recovery. Yes, Alcoholics okay. Anonymous. Oh, okay. So you've been you you yourself have been in recovery for ten years and your significant other has also been in and out of recovery? Yes. Okay. So <clears throat> this is not rocket science, you know that. Right. Right. And you also know that uh you as the other other party, the other person that's in the mix with this cannot make another person seek help. Right. And you also started out by saying or you said during your uh your, what you stated was that you know that you have to, during this time, make sure you take care of yourself. You don't want to be dragged down right. in, 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 into this uh, mess. Um, so the, the only thing you can really, really, truly do to support them is to be there with tough love, be there with well, support. Can you that? <laughs> 
What does tough love mean? We're living in the same home. I'm thinking that he needs to go to a recovery place. You want me to define tough love? Yes, please. Well, tough love means that you do what's in in the best interest of making sure that you don't get dragged into what the other person is doing. And if that means that they have to go elsewhere while they're in that life, then they have to go elsewhere. So you have, you know, there has to be a line in the sand. Mm-hmm. You follow what I'm saying? There, there can't be, you know, that's why it's called tough, tough. It, 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 tough, it doesn't only mean tough to the other person. It means it's tough for you to even do what needs to be done. So it's tough love. It's tough for me, tough for you. So you got to give tough love. So you got to right. draw the line in the sand. I'm not going to accept certain things that's going to endanger me, my well-being, my home, etc., and be willing to stand by it. And the person has to know that you're dead serious. Any wiggle room, any, you know, any way that they see that you are going, you're, you're not firm in what you're saying is going to be opening to exploit that. That's why okay. it's called tough love. As bad as, you, as bad as you want to do for them what they actually have to do for themselves, you've got to pull back and resist and be firm. Does that, does that mean not doing interventions or private interventions, things like that? No, you can try, you can arrange interventions. There's nothing wrong okay. with that. That that's something that you try. Absolutely. I think the problem this really you started. In the mirror and say, you know what? I, you, you, this way, you, sorry for talking over you. This way, you can look in the mirror and say, you know what? I've tried A, I've tried B, I've tried C. Right. I've, I've done what I could do from my end. And at a certain point, right. you're going to realize that if they haven't responded to A, B, or C, then that they then have to take the ball at some point and try and do it for themselves. Right. That's what I want the end result to be for me. And I didn't realize really that I was in this deep a crisis until this last time that he left, and I realized that I've been really enabling him. And I don't right. really know how to take and I need to save my house. I need to keep my dog and blah, blah, blah. And I'm kind of just, um, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm, my head is muddy or something. So. Well, now's the time to get clear, mm-hmm. get focused on what you need to do for yourself and what you're, what you're going to demand from the other and what, okay. the clear boundaries, what the clear boundaries are. This way you, you, you save yourself. And that and what are saving some clear yourself, boundaries? Excuse me? What are some clear boundaries? Well, let's start with the home. I don't want to see any of this happen in my home. Okay. Okay, so that's you start that's that simple. Don't bring it into my home. Now if they obey that, then the next step becomes are you going to seek help? Well, if the person acknowledges that they are, they do have an issue, that, well, we've conquered the first hurdle, and so the next thing becomes, okay, are you going to seek help for it? Now, if the response you get back is, well, I don't have a problem, then you know that so everything stops. There's nothing else for you to say or do. 
The person is in denial that they have a problem. You just have to then from there protect you, yourself, your home, the things you care and love, and make sure those things do not get harmed. And that person has to be at arm's length until they come around and are willing to help themselves. Otherwise, you will get sucked in, dragged down, and consumed. And that's not what you want. As hard as it may be, especially when you're dealing with a a loved one or or someone like a spouse, significant other. I don't know if he's really in denial, but he says that he needs help and he realizes that and that he's working the program differently with the same sponsor that he's had for 10 years. You hear that? You hear that noise? Yeah. You hear those sirens? Okay, that 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 means you're, you're going, you're going, you're going to a place you shouldn't be going. Oh, you, you can't what? say you don't. You can't say you don't know if they're in denial. Denial is not is not a complicated thing to to source out. A person is either in denial or are aware of what they're doing and don't care. So Uh-oh, either okay. one of those two, either one of those two are. Irrelevant to what you do. You know what I'm saying? So um, if they're in denial, you still got to do what you got to do. If they're aware of it but not ready to change yet, you still got to do what you got to do. Follow me? Yes, yes. Okay. Well, where does the, uh, I'm asking him about, are you going to seek help? Where does that come in? Because if he's in denial or he doesn't care, what does that if matter? He's, if he's in denial, but you don't even have to ask that question. You just have to state what you what your position is, where you stand, what your boundaries are. Okay. Okay? If the person okay. then says, or if one of the interventions causes them to, to recognize that they have a problem and they verbally acknowledge that to you, it then becomes, okay, what are you going to do? Then you okay. take it from... Okay. Okay. Have you ever, do you recommend a private intervention, meaning that there's no professional there, but a lot of his, I follow the rules of the intervention, which is write the letter or have his, his uh, actions have been affecting their life all these years. Whatever, whatever you think it is, whatever you think is appropriate because you, you know the person best. So I mean, is that, has that ever been done? Do you, have you heard of that? <laughs> Of course, yes, yes, yes. Okay, people, okay. people get very creative with interventions. So it, it's okay. really all based on knowing the person that you're trying to intervene with and what what you think may work. So if you're saying, let me try and get some of the, the friends around that they, they'll... They I'm going to make them an offer again with you. We can always, we can do that too, you know. We can do that, but... You know, getting some friends around who that, that that they might respond to is is always a, a a good attempt. You know what I mean? Okay. So yeah, yeah. Whatever you think will work based on the person, since you know them best. And, okay. Any other types of interventions that you know of that you can suggest? That's usually the first and the most effective. Because if a person doesn't respond to those who care about them. They're not going to respond to a stranger on the street. They're not going to respond to someone in a in a, in a, uh, a private office. You know what I'm saying? Okay, okay. So, in your opinion, that's a good place to start. Absolutely. For, I I just I really really want to get away from helping him, and I don't want to enable him because he comes home after these runs, and he says he's in the. Pro-
I'm supposed to Al Anon and leave him alone and let him do his thing. And I can't do that anymore. I feel dangerous. Yeah, we yeah, we don't gotta gotta stop you I gotta stop you from going there. It's okay. not complicated. People like to make it complicated and complex. It is not complicated and it's not complex. You just gotta draw your line in the sand, define your boundaries and stick to them. You can attempt okay. to intervene and your 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 first attempt that you're planning I think is an excellent idea and I want you to call me back on one of our shows and let me know how it panned out. Okay. What's your name? All right. Thing starts, and it's whether or not a person chooses to recognize them or just chooses to ignore them because um, their mind is already made up and focused on something else. So it's a foregone conclusion. It's only a matter of time. And that's what we want to avoid. We want to avoid getting to that point. Thank you. All right, I know we're up against yeah, it. Yeah, we we're time for one more. We're up against it. We've got time for one more. If we can uh, keep it brief, we're gonna have to keep it brief. Okay. All right. So we're going to uh, Catherine from calling from <laughs> Brooklyn, U- Brooklyn, USA. That's from the Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? First, let me say, wow, you have a powerful show. I mean, it really is. I enjoy this show. But I wanted to, like, um, thank Charlie Devlin for being around so long. Um, Question, maybe you can answer it. I thought that the adolescent um, started because of um, a gang gang fighting and I think maybe Brooklyn and one of the mothers called Monsignor to get her son out of jail. And Monsignor was like, what are we going to do with these um, gangs and stuff? And that's how the adolescent department started. Not the adolescent. That's that's the impetus for him uh, starting working with the adults. The mother that came to him was about her adult son. He was, oh, a, he, was, okay. he was over. He was eighteen. He was eighteen, at least eighteen or over. He wasn't under eighteen. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. I got it. Like I said, this is a powerful show. I didn't know that. I've been listening from the beginning, but I didn't mm-hmm. know that people call in and be, you know, like asking advice on recovery and stuff. So, um, uh, of the people that call, like, say. Can I um, answer a question from those people that be calling in? Meaning if, if someone calls in um, with, a, with a question, can you as another caller offer some insight to them? Right. Sure, I, of course. Oh, okay, so for the lady that called in about her husband or she was in recovery for two, 10 years back and forth? Mm-hmm. No, 10 years straight from what I gathered. Yeah, she's still in recovery. She's in recovery. Yes. Okay. And her, uh, and her husband is in and out of recovery. So right, right now he's in a relapse mode is what she okay, was saying. Okay, I just want to give her a little insight. My children put me into um, Entop Village with one thing going on. If you relapse, you on your own. When I came home, I couldn't come in my own house alone. I had to wait outside until one of my daughters come home to let me in. So like you said, say what you mean and mean what you said. 
You have right. to set boundaries. And because I knew they were serious and they meant more than me than a bag of dope, I chose my children. So she needs to make a decision. But in order to make that decision, you got to first love yourself. Yep. Um, Absolutely. The guy that called in, he's like worried about going people, places, and things. I was on the bus, had to call back Parkville crying because I wanted to get off and be a part of those guys standing out there. When you first come home, you still want to be a part of that. You don't have no other life. You don't know nobody else. And this is why you make friends that's on your same level. Relationships is out completely. You're so busy trying to get your life back in order. You don't have time for a relationship. You need a job. You need housing. You need to be able to tell people, I need help. I had to let my daughter answer the door because I knew when one of my old friends knocked on the door that if I answered it, I would walk out of there. So I had to let her know, I'm scared. Please go to the door and let her know, Mommy can't do it. Recovery is not a joke. And I, I, I hear this today on your show. People are really struggling with this. So yeah. thank God for your show and the God is always, you always ask for time. Thank God for you all in this show. It's really needed. Thank you. Finish. That's it. I'm going. All right, good. Uh, and, and I hope you keep listening. And uh, I definitely am. And, I definitely am. Right, I and, enjoy it. And and and, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be. Well, we're gonna do something. I'm gonna I'm gonna take you off air, but I want you to stay on and make sure you listen to our close. I think you'll enjoy it. Okay, Catherine. All right. Okay, I will. All right. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you. You're very welcome. Okay. All right. So we're running short on time. So we're going to have to do our interview recap uh, at the beginning of our next show. That's uh, what we'll do. Charlie Devlin recap. So uh, this is our Thanksgiving Thanksgiving week. So I want to play a special song. And uh, us uh, old schoolers will know this song well, but it's a, it's a perfect song, in my opinion, for Thanksgiving. My producer is shaking his head vigorously. No, no, no. But I demand that it be played. So let's let's roll that, and then we're going to our uh, close. Go. Beautiful.
That's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.